first things first, how are you? We are fantastic. How are you? <laughs> I'm not too bad. Thank you for asking. So before we get into Blood Harmony and everything you've been up to lately, I'd like to start with something else, something that I've always in the past couple of years found very interesting, and that is playing for change. And now you featured on one of those songs, um, The Wait by the band. What was it? How did you get involved with that? And what is your connection to that particular song? You know, that is a very good question. We were approached by Robbie Robertson's son asking us to take part. How did we meet that crew? Was it through Music Cares? It might have been through Music Cares. They they definitely got in in touch with us and and asked us to be a part. And of course, we were like, "This, this sounds amazing. I mean, they bring in so many cool artists from around the world. Um, and it, they filmed them all separately. So it was very interesting to, to kind of play with, we, we played with a more like bare bones recording of the song. Um, and then it was interesting to kind of hear what ended up happening with it. Like mm-hmm. after the fact, after they added all the people in. Yeah. Because we filmed our segment. It was Venice beach. Yep. Cause right we, after we played a headline show in Los Angeles. Yeah. So we played a show the night before and then woke up very early in the morning and it was really hot out on Venice beach in Los Angeles. And we filmed our segment. It was really cool. It was, it was an incredible experience. It's such an honor. Yeah. And what I love about that, that channel in particular is kind of the, the representation of, of music as this universal language that it's, it doesn't matter where you come from, what you, so it's, 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 when you started out in music, you both started so early. Uh, were you kind of aware of what music, the, the power of music, so to say? Did you did you kind of figure that out soon? Yes and no. Yes and no. I mean, I remember from a very young age being very moved by music, and we began in the classical sphere. Sure. So sure. the experience of playing music as a child in the orchestral, like the ensemble setting, I remember thinking that that was um, a very powerful experience to be a part of when it's you playing your one small part in concert with many other people and really liking that feeling of heightened connection with other people. So I think in some ways, yes, but I don't think like lyrically or understand, like having chill bumps from songs and stuff, that was like a bit later. I mean, Rebecca started, we, we both started at the same time when Rebecca was three and I was four years old. So really there's very few memories of not playing music. Mm. I mean, it's always been a part of our lives. And I think the power of music really started to impress itself upon us probably when we were in our early teens Mm. and we were discovering the idea of like improvisation and coming up with your own songs and songwriting and kind of the, the joy that music could bring large groups of people and the connection that you would feel like at a music festival. That's Mm. when it started hitting home and we began discovering like the love of music for ourselves. Yeah. Yeah. Was this the time where you discovered things like the, the steel guitar, the banjo, those kind of things where initially, as you mentioned, you were classically trained. And I, I don't know if you even uh, like that because I can imagine it can be quite arduous, but once you kind of discovered your own tastes and your own uh, instruments that you liked, uh, is that when everything opened up? I think, I think, yes. You know, it's one thing, you know, when your parent tells you to play the piano or to play the violin, but when you get to select your own instrument and you are making the choice for yourself, I do think that there's an, another level of 
of autonomy that kicks in and allows you, I think, to understand the real power for sure. One thing I really find interesting with all the people that I talk to, uh, especially from the American South, is the, the role that uh, choirs play. So was that uh, a kind of an important step in, in if, if you look back to, to where you are now, did, did that play a big role or was that kind of, well, that's just something we did back then? I feel like it actually, it was a pro and a con, as, as is the case with most things in life. Because it taught us, we, we did sing in the church, and we did sing in the choir where we had a conductor. And so the young, we were five and six years old, and, and so we one another. And that was great. But I do think of smoothening, of making us very nice. And you sang in pitch with a pretty vibrato, and it's very precise and like, you know, Disney princess. And so in that way, I think it has taken many years for me as a singer to sort of unlearn some of that initial training that though I am grateful for it because it gave us technique and it taught us how to sing together, um, it did take away some of your own personal your personality as a singer. And so I've had to like take some time to rebuild the foundation of how I choose to sing. There's different kinds of choir, aren't there? There's <laughs> yeah. like choirs that are like really, really powerful. And then there are more precise choirs. We were definitely um, saying in a choir that was extraordinarily complicated parts. Mm. So in that way, we did learn, we did learn a lot about pitch and, and technique, like she was saying, but it wasn't one of those choirs that like taught you soul singing. Yeah. <laughs> When did the did your own personality come out? And with was that with the earlier uh, bands that you formed, or was it kind of with Lark and Poe that everything started to click? Mm, I think with Lark and Poe started to click. I think we were kind even, of late bloomers. Even I could say yeah. in the last few years, okay. Lark and Poe, when we've really settled into ourselves and really settled into our own voice. Um, and just become comfortable because we've over the years, we've played for a lot of people as well. We've been like backup musicians for a lot side of people, guys. side guys, um, which is great. I mean, it's it, it teaches you how to how to play well with others, literally. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and um, it, it's it's been great to we've gotten the chance to play with a lot of legends. But at the same time, that also teaches you how to be a chameleon, not to like forge your own path. So I think when, back in 2017, we started our own record label. We started self-producing our albums. Started learning how to trust ourselves. And that's our when it's like our like authentic selves really, really came out. Yeah, we started to, to have play. the courage to let them shine. Yeah. yeah. That's interesting because what gave rise then to that confidence? Was that just as simple as growing older and growing a little bit confident in in in, in who you are in general, or is that something kind of musically that you had more experience and kind of figured out what you wanted to do? I feel like potentially it just goes hand in hand, but yeah, getting older, you, you care less what people think. Sure. You're not as eager to please other people. You, you want to please yourself more. And, and also I think musically, I feel like I started listening to a lot wider range of music and listening to educate myself to music in my early to mid twenties where I was, consuming I mean because I've always been a big music listener but really actively consuming and also trying to understand music history so even just from the musical side of the equation 
just feeling a lot more um, like I had a wider vocabulary to pull from when fleshing out the reality of who I am as a singer, songwriter and player. And then also kind of just making the decision to be self-reliant too, and the power of saying no, saying this is not me. And I'm going to say, I'm going to say no to this <laughs> um, instead of saying yes to everything. There is value in saying yes to everything because you get to experience a lot of things, mm-hmm. but at some point you do have to figure out where, what are your boundaries and mm-hmm. where do you reside? And I think for us, we just kind of made that decision yeah. that w- we were going to start developing our boundaries. I just hear, um, you can go your own way, <laughs> go your own way. You know what I mean? We did. We went yeah. our own way. It's like, fuck it. I'm over this. We're just going to be ourselves. But that's that uh, famous uh, Robert Frost poem, right? Uh, the path less taken or less traveled. I saw. Yeah. It, 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 is, is that a, was that a, did it feel like a risky move, so to say? Is real music dying? What even is real music, and who are we to judge that? Well, my father is a lifelong musician, and together we've been making music for over a decade. In our new podcast, we dare to ask the urgent, the weird, and the deep questions, and we have a lot of wild stories to tell. No matter what genres you enjoy, whether you're a musician, a producer, or a listener, we invite you to discover unconventional perspectives on music. So tune in, and go follow Mad Makings of Music wherever you listen to podcasts. you I think it, it did I was very certain at the time that that self-producing was going to be the way to go for, for our records and I think that made Rebecca maybe a little bit nervous at the time but yeah. it, it has made all the difference like two paths diverge in the wood like you're <laughs> right. saying, yeah <laughs> we definitely took the one less traveled but <laughs> yeah it's true. made all the difference he, that's actually what he says too. yeah it's true <laughs> um I do think that I was nervous, but I think also there is, it's interesting to me that we are so close in age as sisters, but I've always been a little bit behind you. It's true. It is very true. Cause I'm, I'm almost two years younger. So I think that you were like, you were definitely starting to rock in your, in your sense of self-confidence. Like we don't need anybody else. And also I think that you're, you know, we, we serve different roles in the band, but Megan is very intuitive. And I think Megan is willing to move a little bit slower and process things more fully. Whereas I'm like, let's go, let's go <laughs> everything all the time, you know, very frenetic. And so I think that there was a large part of you that was synthesizing the fact that whenever we would get into the studio with the producers, constantly bashing heads, having opinions and then getting frustrated when there was someone who was stopping, there holding the yeah. reins, mm-hmm. stopping us from making the decisions. So you were like, um, hey, by the way, we've done this like three or four times. Let's not do that anymore. We just need to go our own way. And then we and we we did. And yeah, it's, it's been great since then. And the last five years, I think we've really come into our own. Well, yeah. What happened in the last five years? Because um, v- is it from Peach or uh, Phenomen Faith, uh, you would say, that this from kind of Peach. happened? Okay. Yeah. 
So, so, so what what has happened? Because you've you've been quite productive in the last five years, and because you released Peach, Phantom and Faith, uh, Self Made Man, Kindred Spirits, the the uh, cover album. So, so what has been this uh, prolific period for you? How, how has that kind of shaped itself? Is it, are you just full of energy and ideas, or, or how does that? Are you very ambitious? What, what gives rise to that? All of the above. We're, okay. we're goal oriented, so we like to be moving towards something all of the time, mm -hmm. um, whether it's we've got this big tour on the horizon or when touring went away for the for the year that we didn't tour. What you know, we wanted to make we made two out. We ended up making two albums mm -hmm. that year. So we, I think we are always wanting to have something that we're moving towards. Um, and I mean, a lot has happened, man, a lot has happened in the last mm -hmm. well, with, since 2017. Yeah. And a lot of growth for us, mm. a lot of growth. Like we, we've gone to, to selling out tours, which is not something that we had not experienced before in the last few years, like selling out entire tours. It's been really exciting times. So, yeah, I think that that energy, the energy of feeling something catch fire has inspired us to continue breathing on the flame. Mm. And I, and I do think also it's like, we're aware that, you know, while we are lifers for music, we will always make music in some form or fashion. We will always tour in some form or fashion. We will always make music together. That life is not as long as you think it is, you know, that life goes by very fast. I think turning, turning 30 and 31 and 32 and 33, it's like, okay, we've experienced a lot of life and we don't have as much time as we think. So I think feeling very motivated to just make stuff happen and experience all that we can experience. Yeah, it makes sense. I'm 35 now, and the years seem to kind of kind of race by at the at the moment. Um, yeah. Well, moving towards uh, the record then, because you you mentioned that we're moving uh, just now. The song that in interested me was Georgia off my mind because you did, as you mentioned, you are ambitious. So you decided to to pack up things and go to to Nashville to 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 the kind of the epicenter of, of the type of music that you make. So what was that decision making process like and, and how have you kind of how do you relate to, to Georgia and where you're from and, and where you are now? Well, it is, I think. Mm. Georgia Off My Mind, I do think is a very clever song for a couple of reasons, right? Not just because it's the turn of the phrase, but also because it does have significance for our, you know, for our biography, for our story. Sure. We were born in Tennessee. Okay. So I think, interestingly, in coming to Nashville, it was somewhat of a homecoming. We were leaving behind, I think, a sense of facade, because particularly early in in the Lark and Poe career, like the first four or five years, I think that we were casting about wildly and we weren't comfortable digging deeper into the roots side of our musical upbringing. The fact that we did play bluegrass when we were teenagers, there was always an element of like, oh, it's just not cool. Like we want to be like a cool band. And like, it felt like something we wanted to try and distance ourselves from that element of roots American music. And so I think in leaving Georgia and moving to Nashville, back to the state of our birth, there was almost a sense of embracing ourselves, mm -hmm. of becoming more comfortable with, hey, actually, we really love Americana. We really love blues. We really love, you know, roots rock and roll. We want to make exactly what we want to make and Part be cool, be damned, you know, like <laughs> at a certain point, just allowing ourselves to be who we is, that was exactly what we needed to do and then fans of ray charles as well or no 
Oh, always. <laughs> Huge fan of Ray Charles. Yeah, I think we, Georgia Georgia is an, is an incredible state and it definitely has the best state song in the entire country. <laughs> um, well, what I find interesting about this album is, is I, I watched a clip on uh, YouTube. I think it was some some sort of release video. But you mentioned this this you see this album as as more bulletproof perhaps than than some of the others, and I find that very interesting. So can you elaborate a little bit? Is it that that sometimes you feel like on some albums there might be a filler here or there, or uh, what did you mean by that? We So we have always labored over our albums and we have tried, I think, particularly since Peach, since our album Peach in 2017, we have been teaching ourselves the art of production sure. and particularly the art of pre-production, where before you even get into the studio, how do you how do you handle your creative process? Because there's there's, you know, so many different ways of doing it. Right. Sure. Um, a lot of artists will roll into the studio with no songs and they will write everything and learn everything in the studio. But we've never really had that luxury or felt comfortable with the financial side of like burning money in the studio, right? Because it's expensive to rent a studio. So I feel like in the last four or five records that we've made, we become better and better at finding our way of pre-production. Um, and, mm -hmm. and typically, whenever we write a song, the songs that always seem to be the most enduring for us, the songs that really sing on stage, um, the songs that really seem to last in our set are those that we can sit just the two of us with an acoustic guitar and a lap steel guitar, two voices, and you can hear that it's us. And so I think over the years, we've become so much more strict in if the song can't live in this format, this acoustic format, then we don't do it. But if it needs the bells and whistles of production of an organ or it needs like that cool percussion thing. And it's, it's like, probably not good enough. The song's not good enough. So on this album, I really feel that all of the songs we can sit and play for you right now in this room and you could hear where all the songs are. And so we in, did that. And we did that. <laughs> yeah. So for us, when we say bulletproof, that's what we mean is that okay. it's not necessarily filler so much as the songs are just more us. They're, so, they're songs that we can pull off. And then also on the production side, this album is um, sounds much more like our live show. Because okay. yes. we've always had our, our sound in the studio and then our sound on stage a little bit disparate um and this time we've really wanted something very energetic very live now we played bad spell on stage all through our last tour and then listening to some of the board recordings from our shows it's like yeah this is this sounds like the album yeah it's who we are one last song I would like to delve into is, is the title track, Blood Harmony, because this might be, I don't know, it's not very, very well uh, contemplated, this question, but there, there's a group here in the Netherlands and there are a bunch of sisters and they sing really well together. And there's, there's more of those, those type of groups where family, when they sing together, it, it seems to create some, some sort of magic. Do you feel that way? Yeah, I do. I... I think that there is a lot of magic surrounding sibling harmony that can be reduced to the world of tables and chairs. Because mm. honestly, I think when people can sing well together, it's because their voices sound more similar and it's because we say our words the same. Mm. And because we're more intuitive, I think that siblings 
based on their the breadth of their shared history. I can look at her and you probably do you have siblings? I have a brother, yes. Yeah. Are you guys close? Well, the, yeah, but I don't see him that much, if that makes sense, because I yeah. live somewhere else. OK, but even so, like when you get together with your sibling, when you hang out with them, if you have a, a close relationship, there is that um, the hopping on a brainwave where it's like, oh, I remember that time we and you have oh, yeah. so many of these. I remember when we and being raised by the same people, too. There's so much of that in simpatico thing that exists. So there is it is magical, I think, but also it's very easily explained. But I, I think for my own part, I I. I do think that it's a bit more special than just saying the words the same. In, in Blood Harmony, of yeah. course, the song, the al- uh, title of the album is about that, that sort of kinship between, between us mm-hmm. and, and it being unlike, unlike anything else. Yeah, it's, it's just a really special thing. And it's, it's something we talk about a lot and something that's, that's very apparent in, in, in everything we do from, from the music to the, to, to the way that we build our, our, our whole brand, our brand, you know, our whole yeah. band, our whole like image. It's, it's, it's just very, it's the axis upon which everything else turns. So, yeah. Which is funny because I think at the outset, we never thought that we were ultimately in, in large part selling our relationship as siblings mm. to people, because I do think that people find it very intriguing that we are, you know, we're proper adults at this point and we still do everything together that some people maybe can't envision doing that. Imagine how it'd be possible because everyone knows what it feels like when you fight with a sibling. Sure. That is just absolutely tearing each other apart. Annoy the shit out of each other more so than anybody else in the world. Yeah. You're more, more honest to each other. And sibling rivalry, like they're very complicated relationships. So I think the fact that we have prioritized our relationship as sisters and, and really put our relationship before everything else. Like if we're upset with each other, we don't make music in the same way. And there's only been really like a handful of shows in our career that I can remember actually ever going on stage where we're frustrated at each other because we have to work that shit out before we get on stage. And it doesn't last for very long. It lasts for only like a couple of songs. Because it just doesn't work. It's like (laughs) if you're, yeah, feeling competitive and like turned off from somebody, then the audience can feel that. So you have to prioritize like building each other up and being on the same team because it doesn't work if we're not. One last question, and because obviously you know each other then so well, uh, can you or do you still uh, surprise each other musically? And if so, perhaps on this record, can you give me an example of something that happened uh, that that kind of that you weren't expecting from the other? Or I certainly had the luxury of surprise because Rebecca, like a lot of the songwriting comes starts with Rebecca for sure. Yeah, like she comes up with the the nugget or the idea most of the time. Like. On occasion, there's there's a few that come sure. from me, but um, most of the time, she'll bring like an idea of a song, or sometimes like a fully fledged song, like "Lips as Cold as Diamonds" was completely okay. a finished song when she brought it. So I get to sometimes like listen and be like, "Oh, here's it, here's the here's the song, here's the song." But also, I think um, there are certain moments when we're on stage every night as well, where Megan will do something that I'm totally not anticipating. And it's so, it's so cool and novel and fresh. I do think that's because we do with our relationship as well. We keep music at the center where we're, Mm. we're very focused on our performance and learning more and being better and becoming better musicians and better singers the whole nine. And on this album, we wrote, uh, 
I wrote the lyrics and the melody for Kick the Blues. And we had a riff written together. And I went in and laid all my parts down in the studio. And then you came back because typically we track vocals first and then mm. Megan tracks her guitar because of the pitch. And so Megan rewrote the whole riff and then came in and was like, hey, I like wrote a new riff and like, here it is. And it was really jarring for me, but like in a great way, in a way where it's like, hey, I don't really hear this right now, but I trust you. And I know that you have really planned this out. So I'm going to live with it and hear it. And that was a really cool, like trust fall moment. That was, that was one of my favorite parts of, the, of making the record. Well, that reminds me of one, one last thing then. Um, yeah, the, you mentioned the word trust and I find that interesting because uh, as, as we mentioned, there, there is a difference in siblings when, when you, you can kind of uh, blindly uh, trust each other. So, so do you have the same, you mentioned earlier uh, uh, that you have a goal-oriented mindset. Do you have the same goals always or do the, can they diverge as well? Hmm. We, I mean, we are very different people. And so okay. of course there are differences, but for the, for the big things, I think that we do have the same goal. I mean, like for our music and yeah. our, what we want for our music, what we want our music to do in the world, I think is very similar. We want to connect people and we want to connect ourselves to other people. And we want to provide positivity for people. Like all of the big things were like very much on the same page. Sometimes there are differences in like how you get there. Leadership sure. styles. We have different leadership styles. <laughs> Certainly. Um, That's actually probably the biggest point of contention between you and I is <clears throat> we lead differently. And the fact that we are both leaders of our organization, that is always the hardest thing to sum. That's the hardest thing to, yeah, to continue to make peace with. Uh -huh. Because we're very different energies. Like, again, you're very thorough. I'm very like, <laughs> you know all the time everything a little bit of everything all of the time <laughs> you know what i mean and so but, to like fish and pool yeah but having that third party in uh rebecca your husband then this time around to kind of guide you along well was that was that helpful then to to kind of uh so you didn't have to make all the decisions yourself that you kind of uh, <laughs> we still made all the decisions <laughs> okay and then but... it was great because we had a, a two-on-one sort of a thing. And it was always Tyler and I. <laughs> no, but I do think it was it was useful to have another set of ears because if and when we disagree, and that's one thing that I really respect, people that we have worked with in the past, Tyler, Tyler being a really great counterpart, and also Roger Allen Nichols, who we've made quite a few records with as well as an engineer. Um, they're people who who uh, who trust us enough to also stay hands off until there is like a disagreement between us and then they're willing to weigh in so i think sometimes having that third party to like be a tiebreaker if anything that to me has been that was the most interesting thing about having tyler on outside of the fact that tyler is an incredible musician and he's a really good arranger as well and he had some really great ideas um but he's very respectful like he's he is a very uh, evolved man. He's like, <laughs> you guys are so strong and I'm here to support it. And we're like, that's right. You know what I mean? Oh, that's great. Um, Megan, Rebecca, Maya, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with me. Oh, it's been such a treat. You I hope we well. cross paths with you soon. <laughs>